All right. Uh, hope you are well. We've been in the last number of weeks uh, doing a series together. Uh, we create room in the space on a Sunday morning to talk about the story of God and really ask the question, how do we put that into action? How do we actually live that out in a way that's real and alive? We've been doing a series called Jesus at the Center. And really the heart behind that is this sense that God is working on the earth all the time, but at the moment he is moving by his spirit and looking for us to participate in that. And it's been really encouraging to hear many stories from many of you where God has been doing that. You're sensing an increased hunger and increased thirst. God's meeting with you as we create a room on a Sunday morning to respond, but also in the week. Um, and I, we wanted to create a space or a little bit of a sense of how do we actually navigate that moment? When God is at work or desiring to work in our lives, or he wants to use us to do what he is designed to do on the earth, how do we live in that space? How do we orientate our lives, not just coming to church or being part of a religion? How do we actually let this thing called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the way of Jesus actually become real in our everyday life? And so what we've been doing is doing this series called Jesus at the Center, and we've been focusing on not just our outward behaviors, which is what religion does. It tries to fix our outward lives, but we've been looking at what is underneath that. Who does God say that we are, and what does he say about us or our identity? And what does the story of God that we hear in the Bible or read in the Bible and the way of Jesus specifically say about who we are and how we live on the earth? Because ultimately, how we understand who we are, our identity, actually shapes our behaviors. And what I want to do this morning and over the next maybe four or five weeks before we get to Easter is I want to give us a little bit of a framework for how to walk that out. John writes this in in the scripture in his letter, 1 John, in the first letter he writes, he says this, the reason the Son of God, the Messiah, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil or the works of Satan. And that word destroy, we talked about this last week, actually, um, it means literally to untie or to dissolve or to loose or to release or to disentangle. And so the reason or one of the reasons that John writes that Jesus came was to dismantle or disentangle the ways in which the devil or evil had entangled us in humanity. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about a process for how the Holy Spirit begins to disentangle the works of the evil one in our lives to bring freedom in our identity. Sound fun? Yes. Some of you are looking at that and going, no, not at all. Disentangling can be uncomfortable, but it's a really healthy process. Here is the, here is the heart. Um, Jesus desires that we would be able to walk in the freedom of life that he gave to us. And yet so often, because we don't really understand who we are, who God says we are at the core of our being, because we don't embody that, because it doesn't get to the heart of our emotions, our life, we sometimes find ourselves getting entangled with the ways that the world tries to shape us. And God's desire is actually, I want to bring freedom not only to you, but into your life and allow you to live fully and freely in my way. So that's one of the things we're going to do this morning. Most of the stuff I've taken this morning is a hodgepodge of lots of different uh, people. So I, I want to give a reference always. This is not my ideas. It's just the thoughts that I've put together over many years of trying to deal with my own insecurity and my own insignificance, my own wrestling with identity. 
and I'm still on that journey as many of you are. Robert McGee, uh, who wrote book Search for Significance, is a lot of what I've picked up this, this morning, and, and I recommend that if you want to journey this and actually work it out a little bit, then he's a really good, uh, some of you have read it. If you've been around me long enough, I've probably recommended <coughs> you got the book or bought you a copy. And But really, it starts with this idea that the process by which we are changed or transformed in the kingdom of God, into the life that Jesus offers, which is a real tangible life, that is not just an empty idea or philosophy, it's a real thing, a real world in which we're invited to live, a real identity that we are given at the time we trust Christ. If we're to live in that way, it starts actually with the process of being transformed in the area of our minds. And Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans, and many of you might have heard this before, but in Romans 12 too, he says this, he says, do not be conformed, do not be shaped basically, by this world, actually some translations say by the patterns of this world. He's talking about ideas, thoughts, thinking, ways of seeing the world that shape us deeply. He says, don't be conformed by the world. And the world in the Bible is a system of belief without God, a way of doing life that is without God, our own way, deciding what we think is best. And it's not all bad, but actually ultimately without God, cannot form us rightly. So that's a long way. I, I, that was all me, by the way. Not all that is in the scriptures. The only bit that's in the scriptures, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might approve what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, and pleasing will. So in other words, if you want to live in this kingdom life that Jesus has offered and not be distorted or misshaped by the world system without God, we are to be transformed here in the renewing of our minds. There is a renewal, if you want to use that word, that takes place, that affects every part of us, every part of our being, but a significant battleground for that is in our thought processes. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through that. And it's a wee bit technical, but we'll outwork this over the next number of weeks in, in specific areas in our identity. But I wanted to give a framework this morning. And then as we've been doing over the last number of weeks, we're going to create room for God to respond to what we hear. Um, so let me walk us through it, okay? And I think I've got a little image up there, Nathan, somewhere we can see it. Keep going. Keep going. Ah, there we go. Can you see that? Okay. Um, I will hopefully have these available so you can kind of reflect them in your own time. But here's what I want to walk through. Simple way is this. Thoughts, emotions, behaviors. Okay? Say that with me. I know this is primary schoolish, but that's a good thing, as we said many times before. Thoughts, emotions, um, so here's the basic idea. Our beliefs about ourselves, which are shaped ultimately by our experiences in the world. And many of you have had a range of experiences growing up, education system, different traumatic events, the ways in which you've been brought up, your family experience, all different but they've shaped us to believe certain things about ourselves, many of which are quite well-worn in our lives. If you've been around as long as me or 
Some of you have been around even longer. Those things are, are pretty well worn in our lives. Those patterns of thinking, those beliefs about ourselves actually affect our emotional responses to situations. And I'll talk about that in a moment, why that's important. Which can then influence our behaviors, which often, if, if we don't know how to let God into those moments, can be unhealthy or destructive, both for us and for others. What religion does with that piece of information is it says, okay, unhealthy behaviors, we need to sort that out. <laughs> so stop doing this. It's not good for you. You need to change. And so we work hard at trying to change our behaviors. And either you do really well at changing your behavior and you become someone who looks morally good on the outside but is angry and cantankerous <coughs> and judgmental and mean. Have you met those people? Have you been one of those people? Or you get frustrated and exhausted trying to change a behavior which you've tried your utmost to do, but actually ultimately you just keep falling apart. Get more and more ashamed and discouraged. You think, what an awful person that I am. God must not love me. You re-entrench another idea by yourself. It is not true. And you're powerless. powerless. So what we're doing here is what the Holy Spirit's inviting us to do through Paul's words. And actually, you can read, read Jesus' words. It's very similar. Is to start at the core heart of the issue. Did actually some of these things start before they get to be here? Start with how we see the world and how we see ourselves. Does this make sense so far? Not at me if that kind of, yeah, okay, that's good. So thoughts, emotions, behaviors. Oftentimes we think that situations are the things that cause our painful response. So that person did this to me. Can you believe them? I mean, like, ah. Oh. I couldn't think of something good to say. <laughs> we think that that's their fault. Like they just, they confronted me in the car. Can you believe how rude that was? And sometimes it is rude, I get that. We have a reaction to that. And what, what's our first thing is, that's their fault. And sometimes I'm not saying there's not real situations that we have rightful emotional responses to. Hear me here, there's a bit of nuance in this. I'm talking about our identity. But often those situations, particularly if there is an eruption beyond what that situation should actually create, actually bring up something that we believe about ourselves that isn't true. Let me give you an example. Jimmy and Jenny. Okay, Jimmy comes to a party and he, Jimmy has struggled with his identity. He's not been brought up to believe good things about himself. He is uh, full of negative thoughts. He's insecure. He's not sure if he really fits in the crowd. He doesn't like being in crowds. And so he comes to the party and uh, somebody, uh, he comes in, he says hello to someone and they just totally blank him. Totally blank him. How rude is that? Like if someone comes to a party and you make that effort and they just totally blank you. And, uh, and Jimmy goes off and he's like, oh, nobody loves me. I'm, I'm just so insecure. That person is so mean. Da, da, da. Just gets caught in this rhythm of thinking about himself. He leaves the party and goes home and thinks, I'm not going to do that again. Nobody really likes me anyway. My work colleagues don't really care about me. Make sense? Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe that's a little bit close to home for some of you. <laughs> um, Jenny comes to the same party, meets the same person who totally blanks them and thinks, well, they must be having a bad week. <laughs> Goes on with her day, engages in conversation because she doesn't have this message in her life that I'm not worth something. Do you understand the situation? The situation did not create that moment. 
actually the beliefs that we have about those situations determine our emotional responses, which then in turn often leads to unhealthy behaviors, withdrawal from community, or maybe an outburst of anger, or maybe addiction to alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, or we just get stuck into something to ignore those feelings. So thoughts, emotions, behaviors. What does God want to do with that then? God wants to use that same process to begin to transform us. Rather than experiences, God wants to introduce new experiences. I'm gonna call them encounters. You can move on to the next one. Okay, so same process. When we come to faith in Christ, put our trust in him, we receive an entirely new identity. We become part of a new world called the kingdom of God in which Jesus invites us to live a new kind of life with a new kind of spirit of presence we're literally new beings, new creations, if you want to use the biblical language. But what God wants to do with that, or needs to do with that, he's, he needs to upgrade the rest of us to live in keeping with that. To take the ways in which we've been misshaped in the areas of our identity in particular, to come in line with the truth that he says now about us. And oftentimes we do this thing in religious settings where we know that is true. Like I know I'm a son and a daughter of God. I know that I'm no longer saved to fear. I sing it out and something resonates with me. But then when I go back into my life, I still feel enslaved. Because we don't know how to embed that reality into our lives, into our emotions in a way that leads to transformation of thought and into our actions. So God brings encounters, new ways of thinking, into our life and begins to challenge us to apply that truth to our emotions, and I'll talk about that next week, in a way that actually leads to change in our lives, into interactions. Thoughts, emotions, behaviors. Making sense so far? What's the solution there? So God wants to transform us. And I want to talk through this just briefly and then we're going to give some space to respond. It's not a work of introspection. It's not a work that we do ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit for this. If you try and do this and you're and there are lots of helpful psychological techniques that are good and helpful. But in terms of transformation into the way of the kingdom, which is an entirely different way of life, you may use some of those tools, but actually it needs to be born of the Holy Spirit and his work in your life. And there are two things, many things, but I'm going to talk about two things that the Holy Spirit particularly does that I find super helpful in this area of identity change. So the first one is that there is a, a supernatural deception detec- detector. <laughs> That's a lot of alliteration. Supernatural detection. Deception detector, I should have thought about that. Lie detector, it actually is given to us when we come to faith in Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He is the one that, that Paul writes as he testifies with our spirit, in other words, causes us to realize that we are sons and daughters of God. So we have been given a gift who is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you if you put your trust in Christ and who reminds you and brings to life in you your new identity. 
reminds you that you're a son and a daughter of God, that you're loved by God, that you've been made new, that you're clean, you're no longer condemned, that you have been given his power to be transformed, and a whole host of other things. So much fun, isn't it, when it's next to <laughs> So we've got a supernatural lie detector. <laughs> we also have a natural lie detector, which is actually our emotions. So I've talked about emotion response. But the Holy Spirit works with our natural lie detector to actually bring about transformation. Let me explain this a little bit. Um, Um, Robert McGee says this about our emotions. He says, Our hurtful negative emotions are similar to the body's mechanism of creating fever. When you have an infection, your body increases your body temperature, right? You've all experienced that when you've had a flu. And one of the uses for that mechanism physically in our body is actually to say to your body, you're not well. We would never think of taking medication that would eliminate that process in our lives because we would become ill without knowing it and then we'd be in trouble and probably die. However, the same is true of our emotions. Our emotions tell us that something in our being is hurt. It's out of sync. It's out of order. Like the physical symptom of a fever, it's an emotional symptom that there is pain. Not a bad thing. And if that was a physical thing, we would never dream of taking medication to shut that down. And yet in our world and in our culture in particular, we have been taught to avoid that at all costs. Do not dare feel that emotion. And so we shove it down or we medicate it with all those things I talked about before or we overdo it by working hard, driving to silence some of those fears or emotions that we have. We don't know, and I I am a culprit of this. We don't know how to sit with our emotion or feel it. We, we're not great at expressing it and articulating it, and we don't know how to let God into it. And yet, this work of transformation in the area of identity, whilst it starts in the mind, actually impacts on our emotions. And so let me explain this process. I've got three steps, and I'll finish with this. And then we're going to work this together over a few weeks. So it'll make sense as we go. So don't worry if it doesn't make sense in, in, in full today. But the first process is revelation. The second process is confession. And the third step is consecration. I know they're not simple words, but I, I like to, to, to show my intellect. <laughs> a revelation, confession, <laughs> consecration. So the first one is revelation. And this is the process whereby the Holy Spirit reveals the places in our lives where we have been believing something that is not true about our identity. And he uses our emotional responses to highlight that. So let's go back to the story just for a moment. Jimmy and Jenny. Jimmy has an emotional reaction to that moment of being rejected. It wasn't a nice thing, and it's right that he calls it. And as he rightly says, that wasn't fair. That was rude. But that track that he goes on of like, unrelenting anger both towards the person and himself of messages about himself are not true. That emotional reaction is an indicator that something's not right. I don't know the love of God in that place. So when I erupt in anger, which happens, I know, 
Or when I have a shutdown of emotion, when I find myself passive, numb, when I am feeling discouraged or dying and low in my mood, those are indicators that something is hurting. And I need to let God attend to that. And as the Holy Spirit begins to let that be felt, it begins to illuminate that there is something I'm believing about myself that is not okay. Let me give you a personal example. Someone rejects me, let's say. Or something happens that, that hurts me. Someone doesn't understand me, maybe starts to criticize me. And says all kinds of things about me. My reaction is, nobody loves me. I'm all on my own. I've got to do this myself. Nobody's got my back. These are all messages that I've learned through experiences that have shaped me deeply and that are defaults. But until I attend to it, I don't know that I'm thinking that. And actually living from that place day in, day out. When I let that breathe, and I invite the Holy Spirit into that, what does he begin to say? I begin to read the scripture and he says, I am always with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is close to the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Though your mother may forget you, I will not forget you. And it begins to walk, even as I'm saying, it begins to minister to my pain and to the messages that I believed. And I begin to embed into my life the reality that I am loved by a God who's with me all the time and who will not leave me on my own. Does that make sense? That's Revelation, the first part. Pay attention, be curious about those responses in your life. Invite the Holy Spirit into that. Learn how to articulate them. Then this second part is what I just did with you right there is confession. It is this process by which I identify the ways in which I have been believing something that is not true about my identity. And to do that, I have to understand what the Bible tells me about who I am. And I also need to partner with God in identifying that that is wrong. God, I am sorry that I have believed that you don't love me or that I am on my own. I come into realization that you say something different. And so I confess the bit that is not true and I reject it in my life and I replace it with what I know is true. That's what confession is. Confession is simply aligning my life with what God's viewpoint is on any subject. And I know we talk about it often with behavior and that, that's part of confession. So sometimes I might have to confess that I've done something wrong that's hurt somebody else. I come and I say, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? And can I make amends? That's confession with somebody else, right? It's the same with God. God, I got lost in the way I thought about myself. I'm sorry. Will you show me what is true? And I choose to believe that instead of living this way. It's confession. And oftentimes it's really helpful to have others involved in that process. We have practices that we've been opening up, like worship, that's a form of confession. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. What is that? It's confessing something I believe to be true in a way that engages my body and my soul, my voice. Communion or the Eucharist is a process of confession. 
Jesus, you died for me. Your blood was shed for me. You came alive again for me so that I know these things can be true because that is the ultimate source of my truth, the good news of Jesus. Confession. And then the last, the last way is this process of consecration. Consecration, literally the word holy, means to be set apart for God. And what I'm talking about here, what we're talking about is a process of setting our bodies, our thoughts, our emotions, our beings, our lives before God through tangible practices, things that we do that actually embed the truth of those realities into our life. The, the reality is that God is incredibly powerful. I'm going to talk about the ways that he sometimes just accelerates that freedom in a moment. But oftentimes the process by which he transforms us is repeatedly over time. No less powerful, but it's just the process that he uses. And so it's me applying that truth over and over again to my life in a way that actually bears fruit. Sometimes that means sitting in silence. Sometimes that is a practice like my, today I'm breathing in. I am loved. You are with me. I rest in your love. Sometimes it's coming to community even though I feel like I just want to be in my home right now. Sometimes it's worship. Sometimes it's going for a walk and realizing the wonder of the beauty of creation and that I am not alone. Practices like that actually help God embed that truth into our lives. And that's our part. It's our participation of faith in the powerful grace of God to transform us. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about specific areas of our identity where God wants to bring that. And then we're going to be introducing some ideas about some practices that you can actually participate in. And I really anticipate God to powerfully work in your life. Because part of this is that we are, part of the way in which the enemy wins in this is that we don't understand. And God brings truth and reality to help us actually practice this in our lives. I think that's all I need to say. Guys that are on worship, do you want to come up?